welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum-Ulu. And today's text, Paper Girls, takes place in Stony Stream, a fictional suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and the traditional home of the Erie, Kaskaskia, and Mississauga peoples. Joe? Mm-hmm. I'm so glad they made a TV show of Paper Girls. <laughs> yeah, and... Folks, we should acknowledge we had had this on the schedule for quite some time. We were very yeah. excited about it. We wanted to join the chorus of people championing the show. And of course, it's already been canceled by the time we cover it. So yeah. expletive, expletive, expletive. Boo streaming culture. Boo. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a sad one because I won't lie. Doing the reread of the comics, I definitely enjoyed what Brian K. Vaughn was putting down but I actually think my preference lies with the TV show because I think they were doing more interesting things. Well, that's super interesting, Joe. I Uh liked the TV show. I did. I enjoyed it. I was often distracted by, and this is is Streamer Syndrome 101, I was often Mm -hmm. distracted by the backgrounds. Oh, okay. They're very, like, very green screen-y, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of thing annoyed me only because only because my absolute favorite thing about paper girls is not brian k vaughn's writing although i enjoy it but cliff chang's art and Uh. so there were moments where i felt like the show fell down on like representing the visual world but overall i think it was a really you're right interesting adaptation and i thought the plot choices they were making were great and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm just so mad that uh, i i uh, we've had this conversation like 900 <laughs> times, but I just don't understand how streaming services make the choices that they make. Right. And I'm thinking a lot about this because, and I, yeah, yeah, we'll get into the actual show, or the actual book in a second, but <laughs> I've been listening to, and I, this is both extremely on brand and the coolest thing you'll ever hear me say, Joe, but I've been listening to a Boy Meets World rewatch podcast. Um. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nodding. I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. Boy Meets World podcast. Got it. <laughs> and the thing, so I'm, I'm rewatching the show alongside it. The nice thing for me about rewatch podcasts is like a half an hour of TV a week, like I can handle it. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is like the first season of a lot of TV shows, as we well know, is like rocky, uneven. Yes. They're finding their feet, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And network programming in the 90s and the early 2000s, like there was space to have a middling first season and find, mm-hmm. like, I don't think the first season of Boy Meets World <laughs> would have made it no. now. And yet that's a show that has like huge cultural resonance for like generation of people. And you just think like a show like Paper Girls that is trying to do something so ambitious and they only get eight episodes and then it's like, mm-hmm. no thanks. I just, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> this didn't immediately connect with the viable markets that we were looking to sell things to. So we're going to have to pull the plug. And it also like, it has any show, have you ever watched any show that had more like obvious cult fave appeal? Like this is clearly a show that could grow audience over time. 
<sighs> yeah, no, it, it is deeply frustrating. And I, I'll confess, I couldn't help but wonder if it's a bad combination of subject matter. And I'm saying bad, not in the kind of pejorative sense, but in the these things don't always speak to each other in terms of audience, because we've got a show that is explicitly about four teen girls. And we've said this a million times on this podcast, Brenna. Teen girls have a rough go of it in pop culture. <laughs> they are talked down to. They are dismissed outright. They are not taken seriously. So to pitch an entire show that features that demographic as the audience proxy, right? Like these are your mm -hmm. protagonists. And then combining them with ambitious science fiction, time travel, you know, giant robot monster fights. Like this is a rough sell on the best of days. But then mm -hmm. you see what they're actually able to execute and you think, well, gosh, darn, I can't believe they managed to pull it off. And then it gets canceled. And that feels doubly heartbreaking in some sense. I agree. And on the same theme of kind of like subject and timing, do you also think that part of it has to do with like there's everything you've described. And then there's the fact that like this show would have a traditional like quote unquote boy audience. Mm -hmm. But we're asking for girl protagonists to be the proxies. And yes. the other thing I wonder about is, like, a timing issue. Like, if they mm -hmm. had made Paper Girls before Stranger Things, right. do you think it would have had more of a foothold? Because I've seen a ton of reviews that compare it to Stranger Things or say it's right. you know, treading similar ground to Stranger Things. And I think that's a shame, too, because it mm -hmm. dismisses what is unique about the fact that, like, the fact that it is four girls. I mean, we have a scene in the series where they're like running away from a giant robot and then one mm -hmm. of them gets their period and they have to figure out how to deal with it. It's like <sighs> amazing. Yeah, I I am on the record that episode five, which is what I termed the period episode where they, yeah, they literally stop the action so that we can talk about tampons and how teen girls who haven't been educated on how to use them. Sorry, going to correct myself. And how people who menstruate haven't always been educated on how to use them can fall into this situation of like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like that conversation alone necessitated this series being top tier. Like I immediately recommended it to everyone I knew because I was mm -hmm. like, we've got this scene that finally acknowledges menstruation. Like we never get that. No, we never get that. And guess what? It's gone again. <laughs> um, well, we, we it will live forever, but yeah. Uh, Brenna, we've been talking for more than five minutes. Uh, I know. What is Paper <laughs> Girls? Okay. So Paper Girls is a story literally about girls who deliver the newspaper. They deliver mm -hmm. the Cleveland Preserver in 1988. Our yes. protagonist is Erin Tiang, or at least she's the first one we meet. Um, and she's sort of our proxy because she's a new girl. She's just right. been hired as a paper girl. She's new to this world. And it's November 1st, 1988, which is also known as Hell Day. If anybody <laughs> has ever walked the streets of a small residential area on the day after Halloween, you'll Not know what safe. Hell Day is. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a combination of people still drunk from Halloween mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, hungover people and Halloween detritus. And uh, yeah, so Erin doesn't feel 100% safe out delivering newspapers this early morning, but she meets Mac, KJ, and Tiffany, and they invite Erin to come with them. And they it's good that they find each other because they get attacked by a group of teenagers 
And from there, everything gets weird. <laughs> so <laughs> they stumble upon a time machine and ultimately the girls find themselves in the middle of this battle about time travel mm -hmm. between a group of people called the old timers who want to be able to travel through time themselves to make like little tweaks and changes but ultimately no don't want like the masses to have that access yep. and these teenagers who are trying to use the power of time travel to right historical wrongs. So they're mm -hmm. like, if I can travel through time, then I can go back and kill Hitler. And the old timers are like, you shouldn't do that. We don't know what it will do. And the young people are like, it couldn't be worse than the present that we're currently living in, which mm -hmm. I kind of dug. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a perennial time travel conundrum. And I like that it gets addressed, but that it's not the central focus because... As much as that is driving parts of the narrative, at the end of the day, what we're really interested in is these four girls who just get swept up in the middle of it. And they're always um, sort of confronting older versions of themselves yes. and having to deal with that. So, you know, Erin meets the older version of herself and she's like not super stoked with mm -mm. with the unmarried woman taking anxiety medication and still working for the newspaper that she used to deliver when she was 10 or 12 or whatever. Um, and then Mac discovers that she's going to die of leukemia or not leukemia. Mm -hmm. And KJ discovers by seeing a version of her future self that she's not straight. And so that's a whole journey of discovery. And Tiff finds this world where she's gone to university and she's done all these exciting things and then she's kind of dropped it. And that's a lot for her to process too. So it's all ultimately a story about like identity and coming of age, but it's wrapped up in this larger story of time travel. And it's mm -hmm. really fun. It's also just really fun. Yeah, I'll confess, rereading the comics, because you and I have both read this full run. I think there's, what, six volumes? Yeah, it's 30 single issues, whatever that works out to. Yeah, and it, it goes to some pretty wild places. So we do have dinosaurs in the mix. We do... The old timers feed their enemies to dinosaurs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people have a tendency to get shot by things like space lasers and other weird things. And it's all, I don't want to say confronting, but it's just different enough from our own lived experience that if you are driven by an interest in science fiction, like there's good stuff here. Mm -hmm. I will confess, one of the things that I had forgotten about and then coming back for that reread was how much I hate things like phonetic language changes. So. <laughs> I was wondering how you were doing with the language. I, mm, I think... Not my favorite. I think it's a nice touch that English yes. shifts because of course it does, it does right? <laughs> um, like if you went as far back into the past as the girls go into the future, you would have mm -hmm. a hard time understanding people, right? This is true. Yeah. But I know how much you hate it when people try to write accents on the page. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the old timers have a kind of language that is... It's weird. It's almost circled back to Elizabethan English. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, mm. there's something very Victorian about it, but also it feels broken. Like you can read it. I've, what I found helped me was that if I tried to sound it out or read yeah. it aloud as you opposed to just to. trying to read it silently. But yeah, um, let's just say that there were certain passages where I was very glad that they hit the little button so that they can speak normally. <laughs> I got well, annoyed. I mean, 
Brian K. Vaughn really gives himself a get out of jail free card there. Like, I think he definitely knows that he's mm-hmm. asking a yes. lot of the audience and that that could be high key irritating. So yeah, he gives himself this ability that they can push this button on their jumpsuits and then they speak in 20th century English, which mm-hmm. or I guess 21st century sure. English. <laughs> Anyway, it's a lot easier to follow when they do that. And I've noticed, I noticed that in the early issues, he makes you work a little harder. Mm -hmm. And in the later issues, it's like as soon as they realize that the paper girls are in the room, they push the button. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we don't need to keep up this ruse. Let's just switch back to English (laughs) so that we don't have to waste up valuable page space, right? Mm -hmm, Exactly. Ah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, part of the appeal to me about this series is just seeing how far into the future and how far into the past the girls will go. And I'll confess that sometimes when they get into their petty arguments, I would get a little frustrated because it just felt like conflict for conflict's sake. But I do also think that that's somewhat true to life, right? I mean, I was a very tempestuous teenager and I didn't always get along with other people my own age because we were all incredibly hormonal. So (laughs) the fact that these girls are under a huge amount of stress and fighting life and death stakes while also trying to negotiate coming of age and maybe, you know, (laughs) the fact that they're not going to live very long or they're not going Mm -hmm. to live the life that they thought that they were going to aspire to and so on it's it's ripe for conflict and i think that the series does a really good job of negotiating that balance yeah i agree and there's some parts that are hard to read but they're hard to read in a way that is uh both confronting and believable yeah truthful that's exactly it and i'm thinking particularly about the way mac reacts to kj Mm. finding out that she's queer and that they will become they will kiss right we don't Mm -hmm. i won't say we don't know more than that but we know that they will kiss right and Mac is horrible and it's yeah. really hard to read. And also, I remember what 1988 was like, not super mm-hmm. vividly, but <laughs> I think Mac is pretty true to the kinds of attitudes, especially given like Mac has had the worst childhood of the, yes. the kids hanging out. She's had the least exposure to other ways of thinking and being in the world. You know, mm-hmm. Mac is Mac is a little bit racist. Mac is a little yep. bit casually ableist. Mac is mm-hmm. a little bit homophobic. And so when... Mac actually gets confronted with the truth of KJ's future. Her reaction is both deeply painful and upsetting to read and also, yeah, really, really honest. Mm -hmm. I will say one of the things that really, really works for me is just how casually diverse the comics are as well. Mm. Like we have two Caucasian girls out of the four, but one of the two is Jewish and you get the vibe that in Stony Stream in 1988, being Jewish is a, a thing to raise it. an eyebrow over. <laughs> like, we get told about one racist incident, but there's also just the fact that, like, she invites the girls to her bat mitzvah, and mm-hmm. and Mac is like, what's a bat mitzvah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like, they, they don't even have an understanding of what it is to be Jewish. No. And then we also have a Chinese-American, and then we also have an African-American. And the girls all serve different purposes, and their backgrounds informs the way that they react and the, the connections that they make among the force and the different situations. So I think it's it's a very smart decision, like a calculated decision in the comics to to give us different kinds of outcomes, but also it just feels effortless 
effortless to me. It does. Like, this to me is what good representation looks like because it doesn't feel like, oh, okay, we're checklisting these girls to make sure we've got representation in all of the categories. I think it's really important certain choices that are made, like the fact that Tiffany, as the African-American character, is also the... She's the, the brain. The one who... Yeah, she's the brain. She's the one who actually, like, figures out and understands time travel. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be very easy to either have the white or the Asian character in that mm-hmm. sort of stereotypical role as like the science lead. But here we have yep. Tiffany. And yet, Vaughn doesn't shy away from the difficulty that Tiffany will have in being read and seen as the quote unquote smart one because mm-hmm. of the perceptions that other people have around her. And I think the TV show also does a good job of having Tiff like talk about what it's like to be at MIT mm-hmm. in her skin and, and how that feels. And so yeah. I think, yeah, the show is good at an effortless representation that doesn't fall into everybody's basically white, which is what a lot of these series do when they want to handle, you know, effortless representation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, We've seen some bad versions of that even this year. So it's nice when you see something like this that feels like it's taking time and energy to do it correctly. And yeah, I mean, I just I I've always really appreciated how staunchly feminist this text is, how diverse this text is, but how none of that detracts from my enjoyability of it. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. it's climbing up onto a soapbox every five minutes. Mm-hmm. No, it really doesn't. I think you know Brian K. Vaughan is a very good writer. <laughs> We've talked about mm-hmm. that before, um, but he is also very clearly a writer who has learned over time from the right. kinds of representational problems in his earlier work. And mm-hmm. I think that's cool. You know, there's this narrative like that, you know, once a white creator puts a foot wrong, they're canceled forever, blah, 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 right. blah. But like Brian Kavon <laughs> is a perfect example of someone who in his early work was critiqued for some of the choices that he made. And mm-hmm. we've talked about queer representation and why the last man on this show and problems that we had with it. I think that there's a real, there's real evidence in his body of work in particular, with a desire to learn and to do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool that he's as wildly successful as he is and clearly has that that approach and that attitude. Yeah. And I think you're you're right that it's proof that we should always be open to giving people options to do better as opposed to just simply saying, oh, well, that person's garbage because they set a foot wrong once right like the reality is as much like the paper girls we are constantly learning and evolving and just because we don't always get it right doesn't mean that people should just kind of give up on us right like if nothing mm-hmm. else i think all of brian k Vaughan's texts are really deeply entrenched in humanity he has mm-hmm. this fascination with how people negotiate conflict across different cultural experiences like Sometimes that's age, sometimes that's gender, sometimes that's race, sometimes that's sexual orientation. But he seems to be keenly interested in what really dangerous or dire circumstances do to us as people and what it says about us as people in terms of how we react. Yes, 100% agree. And I also don't want to leave our discussion because I know we'll move on to talk about the show shortly. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave our discussion without talking about the art because yes. Cliff Chiang's visuals here are, I think, astonishing. Mm-hmm. Chiang is probably best known for 
well, maybe Paper Girls, actually, but also his work on Wonder Woman. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So when they when DC Comics launched the New 52, he was the Wonder Woman artist on that title. Mm. I think there's a couple of things going on here that works well. One is a loving embrace of the colors of the 1980s. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of neon, folks. <laughs> there's so much neon. And there's, you know, just so much... 80s all over the place like you literally can't forget where these girls are housed Mm -hmm. so there's a level at which the art feels almost like a sketch Mm -hmm. it looks like it's been created with sort of like quick lines there's a a sort of a, a lack of i don't know maybe the word i'm looking for is like sort of laboring over the images of the girls Mm. And, you know, there's all this stuff in comics theory about, like, the simpler you make people look, the more universal they are as figures. Yes. And mm-hmm. and Chiang hits this beautiful mark of the girls are very clearly separate people, each themselves, with, by the way, fantastic 1980s teen girl haircuts mm-hmm. and wardrobe. Um, but universal enough that I think their their reactions, their experiences are eminently relatable. Right. Um, but there's something about that sort of sketchy kind of style that makes it feel like they are always moving really fast, which they are. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I find this is a comic that you really can like, you kind of have to slow yourself down to attend to the words on the page as well, because the art yes. really wants you to move quickly through the pages. Oh, yeah. I reread all 30 <laughs> issues for today because <laughs> it had been a while. And I was just yeah. struck by how easy it was to undertake that task. And I think that has a lot oh, to yeah. do with the art. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's such a propulsive adrenaline to this. And mm-hmm. you're right. The the art is the thing that's catapulting you forward. And then it's Brian K. Vaughn's words that are kind of slowing you down so that you can actually appreciate the attention to detail. The thing that struck me, in addition to your right, the absolutely like iconic 80s-ness of this all is how triangular the Mm -hmm. art is like Mm -hmm. people seem to have triangle faces triangle hair like there's just a lot of not even starkness but you're right it does feel like a hastily sketched look to everything and yet it doesn't feel at all amateurish it's just incredibly distinctive it's also an interesting choice because we tend to associate teen girl comics with much more rounded lines Mm -hmm. so you think about a Ms. Marvel, an unbeatable squirrel girl. You mm-hmm. think about those comics, they're very um, soft to look at. And here yes. we have something that's much more angular and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as befits the literal end of the world that these girls are negotiating, <laughs> ends of the world's plural. So yeah, I think that that has a lot to do with it too. Like it's it feels uh, aggressive. And mm-hmm. It's an interesting combination of what might be perceived as perhaps a bit more masculine style. Yeah. Yeah, with these with these narratives that are very much as we've already talked about like about teen girls and their experiences mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I don't think the show as carefully negotiates. I think the show is really exceptional in terms of its character development and actually slowing some of that adrenaline propulsive movement forward to actually spend time with its characters. But mm-hmm. I I will confess, I just kind of miss... It's not an interplay, it's not a conflict, but the way that the, the comics sort of masculine and feminine energies intersect. What yeah. I'm saying is that this comic is very bisexual. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the comic as a whole, you know, it's one of the things that people have said is like, if you like Stranger Things, but you wish they handled the female characters and the queer coding better, then you should check out Paper Girls. Like it's mm-hmm. very yeah. much trying to serve a similar idea, but through a very different perspective. Uh, yes. You know, Glenn Weldon's review of Paper Girls does the same comparison to Stranger Things. And I want to read you this quote because I think it's perfect. Um, he okay. says, Paper Girls tells its story from the point of view of young women, not boys, and it doesn't seem coincidental then that the tone is harder, flintier, funnier, more pragmatic, and far less concerned with idealizing some kind of lost innocence of childhood. Hmm. 100% true. I agree with all of that. I do too. And it's something that that idea of like a coming of age without assuming that childhood is somehow innocent is a really Mm -hmm. interesting tension that happens in the comic like max childhood is not Not. innocent Aaron's (laughs) childhood is not innocent right like these kids have had commitments and responsibilities and burdens that make them both tied to this time that they like want to get back to Mm -hmm. and also complicated in really interesting ways Yes. And I actually think that that's a perfect segue to bring us into the TV show. Yes. Hey! What's your name? Aaron. Tiff. So you're Mac, right? So? So I'm you're the first paperboy rancher who wasn't a boy. You must be the Brandman kid. KJ. My dad says you people own everything. You people? She's new. All right, Big Mac. Let's go. I'm not gonna, like, bite you or something. What is that? Why does this guy look like that? Move, move, move! Let's get out of here! Hey! Who's there? What are you doing in my house? What are you doing in my house? I live here. No, I live here. That's... Her. Holy shit. This is a psychotic break. 12-year-old version of yourself broke into your house with her punk friends? If that really is future you, maybe she can call someone. Who's she gonna call? Time travel 911. Do you want to call (gasps) 911? Oh, good lord, there are future robots. We need help. I might know someone. Your girls traveled out of their time. That's a capital offense. You're in Target now. It's nice knowing you, I guess. We can't just give up. You don't know who you're about to become. Future me will know how to get us home. But you have no idea what's at stake here. Yeah, yeah, it's the fate of humanity. I get it. This right here the end of the universe we're paper girls so we stick together okay so this tv show is created by stephanie Folsom. as we mentioned it is an amazon series eight episodes and we have four main girls so we have cameron jones as tiffany we've got riley lay netlet as aaron we've got sophia rosinski as mac and finna straza as kj and I love the casting. I love all of them. The girls are <laughs> perfection. They embody absolutely everything that you would expect having read the comics, only they're bringing 
I don't know. It, there's a, a certain je ne sais quoi to these actresses where they are so believable, but their interactions are really fascinating. Like, I loved watching the different pairings between them, but then also their older selves. And yeah, just can't say enough good things about these actors. There's excellent chemistry between them, and there's also excellent chemistry with those older selves. Like, I. Yes. It's rare that casting this many people because it's a massive number of people who you meet over eight episodes Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. lands this well but i don't think there's any casting here that i'm sort of on the fence about i think it was all excellent yeah so the older versions that we're talking about uh i think they tried to be a little strategic with some of these adults to give a little bit of leverage to say hey people you should want to check this out because we've got folks like ali wong playing adult aaron we've got nate condry as larry who is i couldn't remember if he ever appears in the comics but he is kind of like a, a freedom fighter from the past who gets brought into the fray by the teenagers as part of the rebellion against the old timers and he's a funny character I'm not familiar with Sakai Abney as adult Tiffany, but I thought that her interactions with young Tiffany were among the best in the entire show. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then we also have Adina Porter, who has been in a bunch of genre shows like True Blood and different Ryan Murphy properties. And she is the prioress who has been gender flipped from the comics. And then we finally have uh, Jason Manzukis, who is grandfather, who is the leader of the old timers. And this is like the one time you'll ever hear me say this, Brenna, but I didn't hate Jason Manzukis in this role. <laughs> I normally cannot stand him, but I feel like he's bringing the exact right energy to this. Yeah, I agree completely. I think he's very well cast in this role. There's a level of threat and smarminess Mm -hmm. that has to be hit along with being able to deliver a joke and he nails it. Yes, yes. Yeah, I will say my biggest frustration with the casting was Adina Porter, but not because of her. I love her. I think she's always really great. And she's such a striking woman. Like, you want Mm -hmm. to see more of her always. I just feel like the TV show doesn't quite know how to use her. So they bench her for a number of episodes in the middle. And then when she comes back, she makes this heroic sacrifice in the finale. And it doesn't feel earned to me at all. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was like, Agreed why? Completely. Why is she doing any of this? <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think in general, the show is trying really hard to balance the three sort of timelines or groups, right? The Paper Girls mm-hmm. and their various generations of self uh, right. versus the underground mm-hmm. versus the old timers. And it's a lot to do over eight episodes, some of which are only 38 minutes long. Yes. So the show never feels like you are uh, – it never feels like it's dragging. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Ever. But it, it's just a lot to accomplish. And so I think, yeah, we do have some casualties in it, and the prioress is a casualty because what a fascinating character in the comics. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we don't really earn that sacrifice at the end of the series. No. To, to the point where I almost wish that the TV show hadn't tried to end on such an epic cliffhanger, as you said off the top – we're living in this age of streaming where I think the default assumption is that we're going to consume this in chunks or even in a full binge, which I very nearly did. I watched all of this in about a weekend and it mm-hmm. was delightful. I think it plays well in a binge model. But Agreed. by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, 
I feel like this show is only just really getting started. You could tell that they were trying to do something big to get that second season, which unfortunately doesn't work. But so much of the rest of the show, particularly in the middle sections when we're spending a lot of time with just the girls, feels like that's where the show hits the sweet spot. Like getting to see KJ negotiate, seeing the older version of herself kissing another girl and trying to understand who she will become, even though she herself has not processed her sexual orientation. That is such an important, powerful queer moment for audiences. And the show takes the time to give us those kinds of beats with each of the girls. And that is why I liked it so much, because you can quibble with the CGI and the kind of time travelness and like how much time we're spending in different uh, periods and geographies and stuff. But to me, the show spends the time with the girls and that is the most important facet. Yeah, I agree with you. I really think that, you know, another good example of that is Tiff's conversations with her older self uh, mm-hmm. and Aaron's conversations with her older self and, yes. and how powerful those scenes are. Like, Tiff, because she is at first starstruck by her older self and then mm-hmm. horribly disappointed. So disappointed. <laughs> like, to the point of yelling at her that she needs to get her life together and older Tiff has to tell her, you don't understand what I have gone through. <laughs> like, sorry, 12-year-old me. I get that you have aspirations for the future. I've lived through them. Like, it is, ah, oh, it is so rich, Brenna. Well, and there's something great about those interactions between Tiff and Tiff because (laughs) one of the things that young Tiff discovers that old Tiff has had to live through is that she was adopted and no one ever told her. And young Tiff is basically like, yeah, well, so what? Get on with it. Like, (laughs) go go figure it out. (laughs) Get back to MIT. What's what's holding (laughs) you back? Start that institute. Come on. (laughs) And older Tiff is like, you don't understand how shattering this experience was and how different life looks when you're older, right? Mm -hmm. And something very similar happens with Erin. Erin is so disappointed in the fact that that her older self has not, like, quote-unquote, achieved. And Mm -hmm. adult Erin is like, yeah, it sucks for me too. I'm Mm -hmm. living it. What what do you think you being mean to me about it is accomplishing? Yeah. Overhearing her older self speaking with her younger sister, who is played by Jessica Van, who has gone on to become a helicopter pilot for the army or something. So, you know, Erin is starstruck by what her younger sister has achieved and so disappointed in her kind of severely depressed, I think, older self. Like, it's really interesting because... The issues are so grounded and human that they're incredibly relatable, right? Like I could so easily put myself into these girls' shoes about what must that situation be like to be confronted with the realization that your life is not going to be what you think it's going to be at that really liminal stage right like you Mm -hmm. haven't really figured out who you are as a preteen but you know what you want to become and then to be confronted and be disappointed yeah and even i mean the kj dynamic is even more interesting right because she's Mm -hmm. not disappointed with the choices adult kj has made or you know college kj has made she's in film school and kj's like that's a thing we can do we can go to film school like this is dope as hell so good 
but also realizing that 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 comes with this identity that KJ's never imagined for herself. Mm-hmm. It's this queerness. And and I love that KJ is too shy to interact with her with her college age self. So instead yeah. it's all proxied through this amazing girlfriend. Right? You're like, yes, end up with this woman. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah. And even that, like, that is not a big role. That character appears in like two episodes, but it's not even the equivalency of one, right? Like she appears kind of at the end of one and in the middle of the next episode. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important role, even though it's so tiny, and they still nail the casting of that one. Like that actress yeah. is great too. Yeah, Marin Lord, she's fantastic in that role. And there's something about the warmth and acceptance that she mm-hmm. extends to KJ, not even knowing who KJ it's is, so that is so beautiful. And again, <laughs> it's one of those things where like we talk on this show, but the importance of seeing stories that have been marginalized by the mainstream, given mm-hmm. attention and care. And I think we see that so beautifully with the interaction between KJ and Lauren. It's like... That's a story I think we probably have needed for some time. Mm-hmm. And it's really beautiful. And like how cool that it's yes. wrapped up in this sci-fi time travel story. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are so many of those kinds of unexpected humane moments in the series. Yes. That's actually like, I don't actually care about the cliffhanger. I care nah. about the fact that I'm never going to see those little stories unravel themselves. Yep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I will confess, Brenda, it's been an especially disappointing year for YA. So Terry and I covered a really fantastic show that is far more mature than Paper Girls, but it was called Generation on HBO, uh, sorry, HBO Max, and it was canceled this year. And we've had a couple of other casualties, and it definitely feels like this risky, adventurous, but grounded and telling incredibly personal stories but often from like marginalized figures or underrepresented groups they're honestly falling by the wayside or they're falling prey to corporate entities who just don't see the value because the metrics don't count or they don't Mm -hmm. in their eyes and it's especially dispiriting to see creators taking these risks and then the show's getting canceled almost immediately like these shows are not getting second seasons but we are getting stranger things season five a billion next year (laughs) (laughs) like and i'm not i'm not going to punch down on stranger things i think that show has an audience and a function and it's serving it very well but yeah you know when something like paper girls comes out and all the reviews just compare it to stranger things i think that does paper girls a disservice because the only similarity is that the stories sometimes intersect with time and also they involve nostalgia for like a different period. But like, that is it. This show should not be compared to Stranger Things. No. No, but, you know, we have so few lenses for talking about stories that focus on the lives of teenage girls that it is Mm -hmm. not at all surprising to me that the immediate comparison is to a show that is so weak on its female representation and engagement. (laughs) I think that that's, like, it's just so telling that people are like, teenagers (laughs) must be the same. Never mind the fact that, like, I don't know, Joe, I had the wildest experience. So we've been watching... Great Bridge Bake Off, obviously. Okay, and, always. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of comfort food, yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so, you know, 
sometimes I like to try to like use like a VPN and like look ahead to what's actually happening on like the British version, um, mm-hmm. which means I sometimes get to see a few British ads, which, you know, Ooh. I don't actually normally engage with ads because I'm a streaming baby. Right. <laughs> and so I was watching this ad for Always Pads, sanitary okay. napkins in yes. the UK, and it's about period stigma. Like the whole ad is about, and it's just these girls and, you know, the dad comes in and he sees the package of pads on the counter and he's like, uh, could you put those away, please? And the girl turns to the camera <laughs> and she's like, it's those comments. And then, you know, something happens at school. And it's like, it's those looks on and mm-hmm. on and on. And then they show the girl going into the bathroom and sitting down on the toilet and looking down at her underwear and seeing blood there. What? Like actual blood. Like what? in the ad. Blood in an ad for sanitary napkins. And I was, it immediately transported me back to Paper Girls and how shocked, yeah. refreshed, mm-hmm. delighted, but then back to shocked I was <laughs> mm-hmm. to hear them actually talk about, like, how do you put in a tampon? Yes. It's wild that this is the Rubicon that we, <laughs> we are at. Like, this is what most media will not cross. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you feel like that's a part of a story you can't tell, or I think often for male creators in particular, you're just not aware enough of to be interested in. Or you're telling a joke about it. Or you're making a joke about it. I think as long as that's there, then the true lives of girls who are 12 and 13 can't be represented. Because I tell you what... That is a huge part of life. So, mm-hmm. you know, for that reason alone, what Paper Girls is doing is so interesting and so yes. refreshing. And I just, you know, a bunch of suits in a boardroom somewhere are just never going to get that. And that's always no. going to be the disconnect when so much of our media is owned by these huge corporate interests who it's not about the human scale. And that's so frustrating because it's almost like, mm-hmm. what does it even matter if these stories <laughs> can't can't move forward. I don't know. It's such a bummer to me. This is such a good show. <laughs> well, if if nothing else, what it confirms to me is why, especially as you said off the top, it really factors in, in terms of the streaming age, why we need to be vocal about the shows that we are enjoying. Yeah, and so true. as early as possible, unfortunately, like, I... I wish in hindsight that I had have done more to champion this show and let people know. And I think part of it is that it's hard to capture the impact of moments like that tampon conversation without Mm -hmm. feeling like you're doing the show itself a disservice or that you're kind of belittling that. Like, how do you talk about these germane, very human, very down to earth moments in a way that helps people to understand this show is really doing something different and you need to stand up and take notice of it. Like you need to pay attention. You need to be watching this show before it disappears. Yeah. It's so hard because your window is so short. Yes. You you basically have a week. <laughs> yeah. This show came out in July. It's not like we sat on it for that long. Like, the show came out in July. I had to rush home to look after family stuff in August. It is now mm-hmm. the beginning of October when we're sitting down to talk about it, Joe. That is not that long. <laughs> no, I know. The it's tale is so short for streaming. It's just a oh. really sad, unfortunate reality, but... Can I just say that, that that short window and that inability to let things breathe, it narrows the range of critics who will have space and time to mm-hmm. think and talk about a show. And it oh, yeah. it makes shallow the, the depth of conversation. And I think that 
Like, these are all factors, right? Like, if you're not a full-time critic, it's a lot harder to get to. And look at the demographics Mm -hmm. of folks who are critics part-time as opposed to full-time, right? Like, I just think we're making so many foolish choices. (laughs) And it's, I don't know, have I said frustrating 10 times or 11 today? I'm just frustrated. (laughs) Have we said that we don't always love it when money talks because the money isn't always where it's at? Boo. Boo Uh, money. Boo. <laughs> or well, give me some. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brenna, let's tackle yeah. some YA bingo with this. Okay. Bingo. Not a good bingo. All right, Joe. Let's All right. do this. What have you got? So I have abuse for Max Home Life. Oh boy. Yeah, we we have not really talked a great deal about Mac, but Oh, I love those scenes with her brother in the show. Like, they are mm-hmm. so good. And it that's a complete, like, sort of addition creation yes. out of whole cloth that's not in uh-huh. the comics. Loved and I it. loved it. Yeah. It nailed her character. It, it feeds into one of the most exciting action sequences that is also incredibly low stakes, right? Where mm-hmm. it's a full-on Terminator 2 homage as KJ has to rescue Mac from the house before the prioress finds yes. her and then we're doing a bike escape like it's full john connor mm. in terminator 2 brenna and i loved it like i loved it. i didn't expect a little homage to the greatest time travel genre film of all time and yet loved here it. we are it's so good so good um a female director or screenwriter which is new yes. to the board for book five loving it mm-hmm. excellent i'm gonna say road trip but instead yes. of a road trip across space we have a road trip across time although sometimes we have a road trip across space they cover yeah. both good friendships obviously Mm -hmm. yeah um dead bodies and dead families we have both yeah what do you have so uh i did put in some house porn because the brother has uh, a pretty generous house when he grows up i mean he is a doctor so and also kj's house is very house porny oh yes that's actually (laughs) even a better example isn't it Mm mm-hmm um we can sort of say queer secondary character because of course kj's older version only appears in a couple of episodes oh, that's but a good i was thinking point. even more her girlfriend so love it okay um can we say borrowed time <laughs> literally <laughs> folded time joe <laughs> more or less yeah <laughs> well i think we could call it magic supernatural the time traveling mm-hmm. and all of that stuff um yes and I maybe stunt casting is too strong, but I do think both Ali Wong and Nate Gordry so. are there to be like, hey, adults, this yep. is for you too. <laughs> and even I think Jason Manzoukas, right? Like yeah. he comes in at the tail end and it wasn't heavily publicized, but the people who I saw watching the show did find a lot of delight in his unexpected showing up. That makes sense to me. Uh, okay. I think the only other one I was gonna maybe make a pitch for was Perfect Date. Like, it's not romantic Perfect Dates, but so much of the conversations between young Aaron and old Aaron, and then young Tiff and old Tiff, to me, had that auspices of, like, carefully negotiating what life was like but then also old tiff has the guy who's like well you know like why don't we step out and give them some space yeah no i like that and i am gonna have to say cgi i actually think for a streamer most of the cgi is okay the scene i am thinking of in particular when it's very distracting is when is it the robot fight (laughs) oh that yeah no i wasn't even thinking of that no there's this scene where mac and kj are having this heart-to-heart conversation on the roof and the skyline behind them 
looks like somebody colored it in with crayons. <laughs> it's real yeah, bad. Yeah, and sometimes it's deliberate, right? Because it's meant yes. to be like, oh, there's the purpleness that announces when the old timers are coming. That's yes. not what we're talking about. This no. is just meant to be like an average skyline. <laughs> yeah, it's real, real bad. And you can just see they look cut out. Like they look like they've been cut out around it. So yeah, that part wasn't good. But mm-hmm. overall, I have to say, honestly, for a streamer with this much cgi necessary Mm -hmm. it for the most part it it does an okay job yeah yeah and i i would even say you know i don't think the robot looks great but it's not bad enough to be distracting because it's good enough that you get caught up in it agreed completely yeah and that you know this is something that maybe more streamer creators could realize that if you are caught up in the heart and empathy of the characters Mm -hmm. you can forgive a lot of cgi jank oh it's it's when you don't have the connection that Mm -hmm. the cgi draws you out of the action and i just yeah you know just just note note to the good people (laughs) at marvel for example (laughs) oh wow okay i was gonna go with recent example you know the knife of never letting go but sure why don't you go after the largest (laughs) commercial enterprise in the universe (laughs) well they don't need me (laughs) it's true they will eat this podcast for breakfast Okay. Well, sadly, that does not give us a line. We had a number of squares and we were just missing out on two separate lines with one, but uh, sadly, no. Boo. But you can check out the new board on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, actually, no. Joe, first, let's tell people (laughs) that next week's episode is a book club episode. Yay! Book club! I'm excited because we haven't done one since the absolutely true Diary of a Part-Time Indian, but I don't know how comfortable people felt contributing to that Mm -hmm. one. So we did get a couple of responses, but I feel like The Witches is going to be much more amenable to our listeners. It's spooky season, it's a quick read, and if nothing else, those gorgeous Quentin Blake illustrations. Joe, I got a copy of it out of the library, like the ebook copy, and there mm-hmm. were no Quentin Blake illustrations, and I was oh. like, get out here! So that's, then I found the one that has them, so it's that okay. That would be super disappointing. <laughs> Why would anybody want to read Roald Dahl without the Quentin Blake illustrations? You're all crazy if that's the case. Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so two things. One is that we're also watching the film. So this is a a double boo, folks. We're encouraging you to also check out the Nicholas Rogue 1990 adaptation. No need to bother with the new one. The new one is fine if you really want to hear it. There's a Horror Queers Patreon episode about it. You want to talk about some janky CGI, Brenna. Oh, boy. Oh, no. But, no, thank um, you. No, thank yeah, you. so we're sticking with the 1990. And also, if you don't want to subject yourself to... The nastiness that is mm. Roald Dahl's personal mm-hmm. life, we will address it. But if you yes. yourself don't want to go down the rabbit hole, be aware. We we are going to acknowledge it. We will talk about it. Yeah, that's a really good heads up. And we'll maybe frame that out in the conversation so you can just skip ahead to the book bit. Because I know that Roald Dahl is one of those figures who is a problematic fave for many. Yeah, the anti-Semitism yeah. is strong with that one. Very. And it's so hard with texts that you were sort of raised mm-hmm. on, which I think yep. a lot of us were. So yeah. we'll talk about that. Like like always, we don't shy away from those conversations. No. 
So if you want to share your thoughts on the witches or anything else we've talked about on the show, you know where to find us. You can get us for long form, hkhspod at gmail.com. And for shorter things, find us on Twitter, hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, if they mm-hmm. want to talk to you specifically about how great Paper Girls is and how bad it is that it doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. where do they find you? You can reach me at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) It's just one of those, like, it's hard to be optimistic because we both really enjoyed this, and yet this is the end of the conversation. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Any other streamers want to pick it up? I'll keep watching it. Just FYI. Yeah. 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 All right, folks. (laughs) So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Um, <clears throat> sorry. I don't think I've talked this much in succession since before you went to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> like... I feel the same way. So, as we mentioned, TV show, it is uh, created. I don't have any of this information ready to go. <clears throat> <laughs> so, if you want to share your thoughts on paper. Uh... So, if you want to share your shot. Mm.